record. <laughs> More specifically, we're talking about this morning, disruptive advancements. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'll do that. We've covered a lot of things that are disruptive or are disrupting in our spiritual lives and our walks. The last couple of weeks, we've talked about discipleship. We talked about a disruptive discipleship. Why? Because it, it, there's a cost to following Christ. It's not always easy to follow Christ. And in the same way, we talk about that in relation to evangelism. Evangelism isn't that hard when God prepares our heart. That's the statement I'm going to start off with this morning. Evangelism isn't that hard when God prepares our heart. Dr. Jerry Ruth, who was a professor at Wheaton College when I was there, he tells a story to show about how Christ is working in the hearts of people around us in ways that we don't always even know or are aware. This is what he said. He says, while my flight was delayed, I met a woman in the Vienna airport. She was wearing a lanyard with a name tag, carrying a clipboard, and obviously taking a survey for the airport. When she came to me, I asked what her name was. Allegra, she said. Allegra, are you from Vienna? She answered, no, I grew up in southern Austria. With that answer came the permission to ask, what brought you to Vienna? She said she was a student. This opened the door to then ask her about her studies. Where did she go to school? What was she studying? After 20 minutes or so, he knew a good deal about Allegra. He knew her mother had abandoned the family to go to Canada with her lover. He learned that the father's bitterness was to toxic. He learned that her brother also attended university in Vienna, but they were estranged. When I expressed, this is him speaking again, when I expressed my sadness for what seemed to be a good deal of estrangement from the people closest to her, she said it was far worse than she confided. She told me she had a boyfriend who went to study art in Florence for six months, and he asked her to wait for him. And so she did that. And her boyfriend returned the very day before I met Allegra, only to inform her that he met somebody better in Florence. I knew God was wooing her. And I knew the deep felt need where Allegra was likely to hear the gospel. After 20 minutes, she had not asked me one question. I said to her that I knew that she had a survey to fill out. And I had been sent to tell her something. She wondered if I was a plant put there by the airport to see if she was doing her job. I assured her there was nothing like that, but I had something to say to her once she finished her questions. So she rushed through the airport survey and then put down her pen, looked at me in the eye, and eagerly asked, what were you supposed to tell me? Knowing that Allegra felt abandoned and betrayed, I said to her, Allegra, the God of the universe knows you and loves you. He would never abandon or forsake you. He would never abandon or forsake you. And I said it again, Allegra, he loves you. Sometimes it takes three times before that word sinks in. So I said it again, Allegra, he loves you. After the third time, she burst into loud sobs. Everyone in the gate area was looking our direction, and through her tears, Allegra blurted out, but I've done so many bad things in my life. And I responded, Allegra, God knows all about it. And that's why I sent Jesus to die on the cross for all your sins, to bring you forgiveness and hope. I was explaining the gospel to ears willing to hear, 
and a heart willing to receive. You see, evangelism is to have heart when God prepares a heart. When we look at our world today, we can see that there's definitely a spiritual interest. It's actually at a pretty high level in our culture, but the problem is, is there are so many overwhelming options, and there's a lot of confusion around these days about what to believe, sometimes even in the church. While there's a growing suspicion of organized religion, many people are willing to turn to church in the hope that maybe somehow, that a church would somehow have some kind of answers for them. Maybe they'll find some of the answers to their questions that they've been asking or thinking or doubting. But are we prepared as the church to help them? Are we becoming the kind of people, the kind of disciples, the kind of Christ followers in churches that will be able to move them forward in their spiritual journey? Are we prepared to speak to the brokenness that we see every day? Everyone has a story. Everyone has a battle, a struggle, a crisis. We assume that people do not want to hear. And that may be partially accurate. See, they may not want to hear what you are trying to force. Sometimes we're trying to answer questions that they're not asking. But they are looking for answers. They are looking for empathy. They're looking for something more. They're looking for love and acceptance. And that's part of the human condition, isn't it? Don't we all seek that in one way or another? There's a story in the scripture in the book of Luke, chapter 19. But it's a story of a man who is seeking for seeking acceptance, and his name was Zacchaeus. When I read verses one through ten this morning, it says Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore tree, big tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, wait, just, just for a second, I just got a picture in my mind. Rich man, wealthy, prestigious, climbing a tree like a child. That'd be kind of a funny sight. Anyway, that's a lunch. When Jesus came by, he looked at, the, at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be the guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus into his house with great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. And Lord, if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much as I took. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man was shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. So here we have a man that was seeking something. What he lacked in height, he gained in wealth. But he still felt empty. It didn't quite satisfy. He was at the top of the ladder, only to find... It was lonely at the top. 
I'm convinced that he heard about this man named Jesus and that he thought that he would maybe find some answers to some of his biggest questions in life. Like, why didn't you make me a little taller? Perhaps Jesus could help him find true fulfillment. I believe that Zacchaeus was a true seeker. He was trying to figure things out. He had found a way to get to the top, but found himself still unsatisfied by that. But Jesus noticed him. Out of all the people, out of all the crowds that Zacchaeus could not look around, he had to climb a tree and he was noticed up in that tree. Jesus saw him there. And just like Dr. Ruth noticed Allegra in the story that I started with, Jesus noticed this man. There was something about him, despite all the crowds around him. Jesus invited himself into the situation. He invited himself into Zacchaeus' house. See, we live in a very individualized society, and we all just try to mind our own business. But Jesus didn't mind his own business here. He spoke directly to Zacchaeus. I just want to say this for a moment. Disruptive evangelism begins when we notice people and we make time for them. Amen. Disruptive evangelism begins when we begin to notice people and we make time for them. See, Jesus could have easily said that he did not have time for Zacchaeus. After all, Zacchaeus had this reputation of being such a notorious sinner. Jesus came, though, as the last verse of this passage says, to seek and save the saved. He came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus was one of those lost. So why waste time? Jesus had only a few years of ministry. He could have easily moved past this, rationalizing that his time was simply too valuable. He was too busy saving the world to stop for Zacchaeus. But no, he stopped. He noticed. He spent time with Zacchaeus. And what was the result of his invested time? Zacchaeus had a change of heart. He had a change of mind. This change resulted in an action. His salvation did not just impact just him and his household. He gave one half of his wealth, half of his wealth, he gave to the poor. Do you think they might have been impacted a little bit by his gospel declaration here? Where salvation has come to his household? One half of it went to the poor. And those people that he stole from, they probably thought this was money that would never return. It was just lost money. They expected to get nothing back. But he gave them four times the amount that he cheated them out of. Why? Because a changed heart leads to action. And that changed heart also impacts other people. We talked about this last week in the discipleship group on Wednesday. Where St. Augustine is going back to some of the early church fathers. He thought that discipleship should include three things. One is the head or the mind. Why? Because we do need to have knowledge. Knowledge isn't evil. It's good to know. But if it only stays there, that's the problem. I know all this good stuff. What's the next thing? So head, heart. It's the second place. Why? Because it has to go from here to what we truly believe and live out. And then third is the hands. The head, the heart, and the hands. Why? Because when we believe it here, when we know it here, and we believe it here, then it's going to come through in the way that we act and the things that we do. 
It's going to come through in our hands and our actions. By the way, I want to encourage you to participate if you're able to on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Shameless commercial. In the middle of all that we're facing in our world, we need to be meeting together and we need to be growing in our faith and solidifying the things that are most important in our lives. We're starting with the foundational beliefs of the church that have been passed down from late 1st century to 2nd century, the Apostles' Creed. We never know, in the midst of all that we're facing, we need to have a solid foundation. We need to be anchored on the right things. And the Apostles' Creed has been something that's been passed down for lots and lots of years, thousands of almost a couple thousand years, two months. And it stood the test of time. You see, when someone comes to know Christ, in fact, you never know how many generations are going to be impacted by that one's salvation. How many people are going to be impacted by that one's salvation. We'll never know the impact of one saved life simply because you are obedient to share the truth of that love. See, every time you take a risk, in a relationship or a conversation with someone who is maybe not quite a believer yet. You have the opportunity to impact that person's eternity, but also impact their family for generations and other people around them. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And if the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, and we call ourselves Christ followers, then it's also our responsibility as part of what we do as a people to continue what he taught us to do, which is to seek and save the lost. No matter who you are or what step God is leading you to take in evangelism, big or small, it will always feel risky to some degree. What I would encourage you is to think of a small step. Don't worry about reaching thousands. Reach one. Speak in the life of one person. Maybe it's a relationship you need to build, or a conversation to start, or a question. Questions are good. That's how you get to know where people are. Or maybe correcting a misconception of Christianity. Correcting that, or maybe there's a group to train, or people to speak with. But whatever it is, it's going to feel threatening. It will feel a bit threatening, and you're, you're going to be tempted to put it off. You're going to be tempted to skip it entirely. Perhaps you've been avoiding it for some time. But when we take the gospel, we must take the gospel personally. Not just knowing it here, but getting into our heart and working out through our hands and our mouth as well. It must become personal to us. We are responsible to share Christ with our neighbors, with our friends and family in a real way that feels natural and real. We'll be learning about this in upcoming discipleship classes and how to share our faith in a way that's natural to who we are. Versus trying to force ourselves into some kind of other kind of evangelistic mode. And when we think of evangelism, we think of the great evangelist like Billy Graham. And we think about the way he does things, and we think, I can never do that. Or maybe we think about knocking on doors or going downtown and, and sharing the gospel with, with people like that. Or maybe it's going to a motorcycle rally and passing out tracts. We might have certain preconceived ideas about what evangelism is and how it's done. But the reality is. God puts us in places where he can use our natural gifts and abilities so that it becomes a natural way to share with people. And we don't have to try to force ourselves into somebody else's calling 
or somebody else's perception of how that needs to happen. So far, this class is helping us through those kind of questions as well. Colossians 4, 5 through 6 says to live wisely among those who do not, who are not believers, and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. And that's where some of us really stall, don't we? The conversation being gracious and attractive. It's so easy to just go at people with facts. It's so easy to attack. But that's not what God is calling us to. In fact, he's telling us to live wisely and make the most of every opportunity. I've heard it said that you attract more people with honey than with vinegar. If we make the gospel personal, that means we have to do something with it. It is no longer good enough to just know about it in our head. It has to get in our heart. It should come through in everything that we do. Our actions, our hands, our mouth. Jesus said that we should teach the disciples to do all that he has commanded. And what he, what he has commanded us to do is to make disciples. Go out into all the world and make disciples. To reach and to seek and save the lost. Those are all things that we're called to do. So we have to choose. Will we obey that command? Or will we resist it? Unfortunately, there is no third option here. And that creates quite a tension in our lives. 2 Peter 3, 8-9 says, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years for the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to return. See, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise to return, but he's waiting for his He's being patient for us to be able to share the gospel and to reach people so that they would turn in repentance to him. See, the Lord is being patient because he wants everyone to repent. His will is that all would be saved. How does he do that? He does that for you and for me. And if you're not moved by statistics or thinking about the numbers of people out there that do not know Christ, let's think about it on a more personal level. How could it affect those that you love the most? What if your son, daughter, grandchild, who has lost and has lost all interest in the church and spiritual matters, what if it reaches them? What if somebody's obedience reaches them? Maybe you aren't able to do it. But maybe God is calling somebody right now that all they have to do is be obedient to speak to that son, that daughter, that grandchild. And when they become obedient, Making it personal. Some of you are going through that right now. Perhaps a coworker, a friend, a neighbor. When a loved one's eternity is at stake, levels of personal interest begin to climb. Make it really personal. I'm asking just for the next few moments. Close your eyes. Wherever you are, close your eyes. I want you to think, and I'm sure it won't take most of you. I want you to picture five people 
that you do not, that you know, do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Five. Take any five you want. Pick the five that are closest to your heart right now, in this moment. Picture them. Picture the parts of their lives that you know. You know their struggles. You know their battles. What I want you to do now is you're picturing them. Think through that. And maybe you're making a list mentally. Maybe even after today, you're going to write it down. You're going to write down five names. You're going to put it in your Bible or in a place that is visible for you. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. I'm not going to tell you to share the gospel with them or anything like that. I simply want you to take those five people and begin praying for them. Begin praying for them. Pray for their salvation. Pray specifically for their salvation. Word of God says you have not because you ask not. We need to continue asking. We need to continue believing. And begin to pray for open doors to share the truth of God with them. I think begin praying specifically for them. And just like Jesus noticed Zacchaeus, notice them. What do they have questions about? What struggles are they trying to overcome? Ask questions. Don't try to have all the answers. Share what God has done for you. Lead them to Christ. Even if you, you don't take that step, you might go to church. Offer to meet them on Sunday. Pick them up if you have to. Look for opportunities. If you guys don't realize that, I want you to write that list down at some point. You need to make five things. And I want to hear over the next several weeks is those five names that you've been praying for to kind of know a door of opportunity for you to speak into their lives. Now, some of you may still need a little more cheerleading. You don't think you can do it. But God's word says that you can. And God's word is the truth that combats the lies of the enemy. The enemy is the one telling you you can't do it. The enemy is, one of, is the one that will tell you that it's worthless to share the gospel with that person. But here's some reasons for our confidence this morning. Romans 8.31 says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And the earnest prayer of a righteous person has a great knowledge and produces wonderful results. You're praying for that person? The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. Do you believe there is real power in prayer? It's not the last resort. It's the thing that we go to because it's going to give the power. It's going to make change happen. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the good news of, about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first, and then the Gentile. That gives us confidence. And there are many more scriptures that you can go to that will give us confidence that says, when you say, no, I can't, the Bible says, yes, you can. When you say, I can't do it in my own strength, the Bible says, here's my spirit. Let me fill you up with more of my spirit. Let me give you the words to speak. Let me give you the words to pray. 
Let me give you the discernment to be able to speak into a situation. Let me give you the discernment to know when that door of opportunity is there for you. We don't have to do it with our own strength or abilities. Now this morning you may be here, you may be watching online. And you're like Allegra in the story I told earlier. It feels like your life is falling apart. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus loves you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You can give your life to him this morning. No matter what you've done in the past, you can receive forgiveness for it all today. It can be completely wiped away. If you would like to take that first step this morning toward a new life, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. And whether you do it in your head or heart, you say it out loud, it doesn't really matter. I want you to mean it right here. You can just repeat words if it means nothing. You can know words and they mean nothing. This is what matters right here in the heart. Pray, Lord Jesus, I come before you today recognizing my need for you. Please forgive me of my sin and help me to live my life for you. Help me to follow you all the days of my life beginning today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And first up this morning, if you are, now you are a follower of Christ, but there's more to being a follower of Christ than just saying a prayer. New version is a Bible app that you can get on your phone for free. And in it you'll find different devotionals and you want to find the one that says first steps for new believers. That'll help you in the next steps of your growth and continue to help you grow. I also want to encourage you, if you're local, to come into our church on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We also do the discipleship class at 7 o'clock on Wednesdays to help continue to grow in your faith. Now, to close up this morning, I'm going to challenge those of you who are believers already. You didn't just say that prayer. You've been believers for a while. Allow God this week to use you to speak life into someone today. Maybe it's today, maybe it's tomorrow, some point during this week. You ask, you, you have not because you ask not, well, ask God for boldness. Ask God for the right words to say and discernment to see a heart that is ready. Because evangelism isn't that hard when God prepares to Stand with me this morning. My charge to us as followers of Christ this morning comes from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And it says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind. And a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I would proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you'll have the right response for everyone. My charge to you this week Devote yourselves in prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for opportunities to proclaim the message. Live wisely and make the most of every opportunity. And let your conversation this week be gracious and attractive. God bless you. Amen. Have a great Sunday.